My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. Boy, it's great to see all of you, but especially those who are our guests today. Thanks for coming. And for you who have been here for a little bit and still trying to figure out whether we're your home, we appreciate you letting us serve you on Easter. In the early church, they would have a moment whereby they'd say, he is risen. It would be their salutation rather than hello or what's up. And the response would be, he is risen indeed. The reason they did this is because the reality of the resurrection was real. And they never wanted to forget what God had done for them. So I'd like to continue that tradition on this special day by saying, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Here we go. Thank you very much. I want to thank Megan Greeny. She's our, just a great dancer. And she's a part of our youth movement, and we believe in our youth. So let's give her another big hug. Amazing performance. Love that. Turn with me over to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 36 through 43. Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. The title of the message is, He Really Rose. He Really Rose. It says, while they were, were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40. And when they had seen this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Verse 43, and he took it and ate it before them. Lord, help us as we study. Four things I'd like to speak to you on regarding this passage. One, that Jesus seems to reveal himself when he's being spoken about. Two, when we don't believe the report that is, is being said, there's a reproof that's coming. There's a rebuke, a correction. And number three, he does reprove himself as the one who has risen from the dead. Backdrop, this is the day of the resurrection. The women went to the tomb, Mary, 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 and maybe another Mary. Mary was a common name then. It was Mary, the mother of James and John. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was Mary Magdala. There were lots of Marys. They all came because they had not finished the preparation of the body for burial. A kind, of, kind of a preservation uh, moment. And so they were doing what they could to try to get there on the first day they could because they ran right up against the Sabbath, which began at 6 p.m. on that Friday. So they didn't have time to finish. They were coming to finish. All of a sudden, they see the stone rolled away. They are blown away. They first think somebody has stolen the body. They don't even think that he's risen from the dead because they, even though he's told them, they don't have any context that this has ever happened. There's never an excuse for us not to believe God, ever. No good one at all, ever. He told them many times this was going to happen. And so everybody should have said, oh, that's what happened. I get it. But they didn't. And because they had never seen anybody do it on their own. Now, there have been people who had been raised from the dead by those who were dele delegated by God with power. Elijah, 
a prophet, raised a young man from the dead. Elisha also, Elijah's protege, raised a man from the dead. And Jesus had a couple to his credit, at least a guy who was a son of a widow from a, a family from a city called Nain, N-A-I-N. And there was a funeral procession on its way to the graveyard. Jesus stops the funeral procession on 28 out here. <laughs> and he says, this isn't right because this w woman now is a widow. She, her husband had already gone. And now her eldest son, or maybe her only son, was gone. There were no occupational opportunities for women. And so when a woman did not have someone to earn income for her, provide for her, because most of the labor was manual that needed to be done, it was a sad, doubly sad day. Jesus said, I can't let this go on. He goes to the back of the hearse, opens the door, says, boy, get up. Be restored to your mama. Six months earlier, from this point at which we see he's been raised from the dead, he raises Lazarus, his friend from the dead. So he had a couple of resurrections to his credit, but there may be more. We just don't know. Because all we have in the Gospels is kind of the highlight reel of Jesus' life. That's it. We get the ESPN 30-second go-through of the NFL on a Sunday. We don't get the whole game. We just get all the touchdowns, the hard hits, and the great interceptions. John said it like this. If we were to account everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books to contain it. Not enough paper and pen. Every day he was doing, doing something so unusual and amazing, the disciples said, we can only write down the things that we thought were super amazing. I don't know how you categorize amazing from amazing, but this is the way Jesus lived. And so there were people who had been raised from the dead, but nobody had raised themselves from the dead. Oh, this was unusual. The women come to the tomb ready to prepare the body some more. They see the stone rolled away. They go, oh, no, he's been taken. And then a man, supposing to be the gardener by the women, say, what are you looking for? Uh, oh, well, if you've taken him, let me know, and I'll go find him. And then this man, who had supposed to be the gardener from the women, says Mary's name, Mary. There's a way Jesus says your name like nobody else. All of a sudden, you know it's him, and I want you to open your ears this morning because he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Don't miss it. He's saying your name, Mary. Mary cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher, or kind of a very affectionate term to mean teacher. My instructor, my tutor, you're alive. She grabs a hold of him, grabs a hold of him to such a degree that Jesus said, girl, you're going to have to let go. I, I got to go to the Father. Hey, you, you're going to have to let go. I got to go. I got to go. But see, when, when she, thought, she thought she'd lost him. And he had done so much for her. Delivered her from seven demons. Given her hope and future. No man loved her like Jesus. Everybody else had treated her poorly, we believe. But he really cared for her as the father would a daughter. She thought she lost him. She was never going to let him go. And I beg you, once he reintroduces himself to you, hang on for dear life. Don't ever let him go. Don't let a circumstance, don't let a disappointment, don't let untoward life 
a, a, a redirection of your plan begin to make you think, I need to distance myself from God because I thought he was going to do this and he didn't, and I'm not happy about it. You hold on regardless because he is your help. The women come back to the disciples who are locked in the room upstairs because they think, they think the Jews are coming to get them too, and they come to the disciples and say, he's risen, we saw him at the tomb, amazing, we don't know what to do, this is a great day. And the, the disciples sit there and say, mm-hmm. You know women. They emotionally, I don't know what they saw. I don't know. Really dumb. Really, really dumb. They dismiss everything the women said for their own gender bias. Stupid. In fact, Jesus, at a later point after this, rebukes them because they didn't listen to the women and treat them as credible. God hears you, ladies, and he will use you as his voice. Gentlemen, perk up your ears. I just, I just, all the women are coming back next week. This is great, isn't it? Oh, I like him. Yes, let's go back to that church. So they don't believe him. Well, later on in the day, two guys who are not a part of the 11 disciples, the primary group, but they're a part of the discipleship group, probably of the 120 that would later be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that would be the missionaries to the world and the foundation of the church. These two guys, two of them, are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about a couple of three hours walk. And they're discussing these things about what happened, disappointed that they thought what Jesus was supposed to be to them really wasn't, and he died. They were hoping that he would be this king that would set up a kingdom whose borders would never in decrease, whose kingdom would have no end, and would have unparalleled peace and prosperity. This was supposed to be the place where everything was fulfilled that we find in Scripture. And now Jesus, the one upon whom they had, they had placed all their, in, in, the one in whom they had placed all their hope was gone. And they were talking about it. They were getting out of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, a man comes up next to him and begins to get in the conversation. And they don't know who it is, but he asks them. He plays dumb. He says, what are you all discussing? And they say to him, have you been under a rock? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who has no clue about what's happened this weekend? <laughs> that Jesus, this one we had hoped to be the Messiah, has come and he died and we placed all of our hope in him. And now there's no hope anymore. It's over. And as they're walking, Jesus begins to talk about the scriptures and the fulfillment of it in the Old Testament. And they, they, he opens up who he is. Now, they don't know it's Jesus, but it's Jesus walking with them. And it's one of those moments like, you know you, you, you pigeonhole people in a certain spot because that's where they're supposed to be, and then you go to another spot across the country, and then you see them and you think, I know you, from where do I, who are you? Oh, yeah! And you have that aha moment that you recognize them again. They thought he was dead. He wasn't supposed to be walking, much less talking. And so they have no clue. And if you rise from the dead, you would think there would be a kind of a, a big introduction. I'm back. <laughs> Something. But there's not even that. He just pretends like he's another guy. And so they're walking along for two hours. They get to a place where they have a little bite to eat. They sit down at the table. There's bread at the table. Jesus breaks open the bread. And all of a sudden, their eyes get open and said, and he immediately vanishes from their sight. Did you see that? Did, that, was, that was, that was, oh, 
Oh, what he said on the road. Oh, our hearts. Oh, oh, he's, oh, oh, oh. He's on, oh, that was it. Oh, my, oh. And they run back to Jerusalem. And they tell all the other disciples, we saw him. He was on the road. We didn't know it was him until he broke open the bread. Listen, this is why you need to be in his environment regularly, purposefully. Even if he is not, you don't feel that he is not walking with you. He is walking with you. But you need to be in his, in his environment long enough to where when bread is broken, when the word of your provision is broken open, you're able to see him. And sometimes you can't break it open in your devotional moments very, very often because you rarely read your Bible every day. And you need somebody to help you break open this word. And when that happens, all of a sudden you see him differently. Your eyes are open. And my hope today is that as this little black man opens up this word to you, <laughs> that you would see him differently. Yes. The disciples are there thinking, wow, these guys, you know, they're not women. I mean, now they're starting to, you know, maybe believe a little bit. And all of a sudden, as they begin to speak, it says that Jesus showed up. His standard, listen, I would love it if Jesus bodily would show up to every one of us in our own personal devotional time. Wouldn't that be great? Unfortunately, I don't know whether it would change any of you. It didn't the disciples. As evidenced by the fact that when Jesus showed up, they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. I would love it if he did that, but there's no guarantee that it would change any of us. His standard operating procedure is this. When somebody is talking about the word, he shows up. If you're willing to see it. They were testifying about what they knew to be true. And as a result of their testimony, in the middle of their speech, he showed up. Please, let the words that I say today amplify your vision. So you see him like you've never seen him before. This is how he regularly reveals himself to you. He shows up when somebody begins to talk about him. And if you will talk about him to your friends, if you will open your mouth and give testimony, you may not be able to be whatever I do on Sunday. You can't do that very, you don't know all the scriptures, you don't know how to tell the stories and, and weave them in and out and come back to the point that you just forgot about. You may not be able to do any of that, but what you do have is a story. You've got something that God did for you. Make sure you speak it because when you speak it, he shows up. These disciples all of a sudden saw Jesus. He shows up when his word is there. And they are shocked. Oh, oh. Now this is superimposed over John 20, where he shows up in the midst of the disciples, yet we don't have in that passage the account of the, the men on the road to Emmaus telling this story. It doesn't make the, the account in Luke any less legitimate than the account in John. It's just God simply using all the different perspectives to give us a well-rounded approach of what the experience was. And no one person can say they saw everything. We can only give our perspective. And that's why we've got three Gospels. And then we call them the Synoptic Gospels. And four is the Gospel of John that doesn't go in the order of Christ's ministry, but goes on the topics of Christ's ministry. But we have all four of these that allow us the privilege of saying that's what the well-rounded life of Christ looks like as best we can in the highlight reel. But here we have these, these men sharing the story. Jesus shows up and the disciples are just 
oh, this is something. It's a ghost. It's not real. That's what they say. They're scared to death. And this is why Jesus says, peace. Because when he shows up, they go, ah! They're scared. They don't know exactly what to do. Again, they have no, no reference point. You're supposed to be in the grave. And although we've heard it now a couple of times, still their minds couldn't handle it. And then he begins to reprove them for their unbelief and their troublesome souls. Two things that he talks about here. One, why are you so troubled? And two, why do you doubt? They are not synonyms here in terms of meaning. Although they have a a sense of of sharing the same last name and that they might be cousins, they are specifically two different topics. One, the term trouble in the Greek means disturbed. You have some turmoil in your soul. There's not much agreement with what's happening here. And see, the disciples, to understand that to which Jesus is is addressing, the disciples still couldn't figure out what is this messianic thing? Now, he, Jesus was the Messiah, but they thought Messiah meant this. From the day that, that they realized who he was, as much as they could, to the day that they brought him in Jerusalem in the last week, they thought he was going to sit on the throne, a physical throne, and never be uprooted from that throne. And that he was going to tell Herod, who was the, the very poor ruler of the Jews, bye, He was going to go to Pontius Pilate, who was ruling over all Judea as the puppet ruler of Rome by, and ultimately have his kingdom expand all the way to the Roman Empire, and this kingdom of the Messiah would take over the entire earth. And so these disciples had signed up as people who could be a part of his administration. They weren't just loyal because they liked him, though they liked him. They were loyal because you're going to give me a job, and you chose me. And if you're the Messiah and you chose me, you've got to see something in me, like Secretary of Defense, (laughs) Secretary of the Interior, Secretary of the Treasury, Matthew. He was a tax collector. You must see something in me, and I cannot wait until you come into your throne, because when you come into your power, I come into mine. Yes, sir. (laughs) Mama's going to be proud. I mean, Daddy was mad when I sold the business, but when he sees me there, ah, it's going to be vindication. I made a good decision. Oh, I can't wait. He dies. Oh, no, what did I do? Why did I give up everything the way I did? What was I thinking? Mama was right. Daddy was right. I need to go back home. I got to, I'm humble pie. I got to eat. I got to say, I'm sorry. You were right. I don't know what to do. He shows up, and the only thing they're thinking about is how does this work? How does this work? The trouble in your soul, is that which you believe God is supposed to do for you? That he doesn't think is important. He's going to do something different. You have a plan. You have an idea. You've got an agenda you'd like him to follow. You signed up for this thing. Yes, you want to serve him, but you would love it if he could serve you. Lord, have you seen that my biological clock, have you heard the TikTok? Lord, have you heard? I'm not where I thought I want to be. I thought I'd have a different last name by now. I thought I'd have many people following in my footsteps, and I'd be the, the owner of a business, and I'd be your, your version of Proverbs 31. See, that's all I wanted to be, and I'm not there yet, oh, Lord. It's, it's a good plan. Why haven't you signed on? 
I don't want anything bad. It's all good. Why haven't you signed on? Lord, I gave you my life. I gave you my finances. I'm tithing. I'm doing everything I can. But my business is tanking. I'm not where I ought to be. I thought I'd be living in a different neighborhood than I'm living in now. I thought I'd have a different bank number now. I, I, I thought I'd have accounts and, and I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be acquiring business, businesses now. My entrepreneurial skills are just so great. I just haven't seen them realized yet. Lord, these are all good things. God, I'm not trying to do anything bad. Where are you? God, I thought I'd climb the corporate ladder much quicker than this. And all the people I don't like who are worse than me are above me now. They're telling me what to do. This doesn't make any sense. You know how I serve. You have done Bible studies in the workplace. I've invited these people to church. All these knuckleheads that don't like me, I prove I like them by helping them. I recognize their birthdays. Lord, I give them things on their anniversaries. I take them out to lunch and I pay. You know me. Where are you? You have your own idea about what being in his administration means. Why is your soul troubled? It's troubled because your will doesn't agree with his. Brett's will doesn't agree with his. I can't tell you how many times he has broken Brett. Stuff I thought was good for you and for me. I pushed and pushed thinking that it was the right thing, and he said, nope, and, and did it in such a way that I was humbled, not only before him, but before my church. You have no idea how much leadership equity I spent in making wrong decisions. You all are the beneficiaries of all my mistakes. <laughs> I doubt whether half of you would be here if you, if you were there when I made all those mistakes. In fact, you weren't. <laughs> evidence I wasn't good enough to lead you. He's disappointed me more than he has fulfilled me. But the things that he has done in my soul, I'm talking about frequency and times, the things that he has done in my soul are priceless. And how he has made me better through it, there's no value you can put on it. And how I've grown to love him and trust him more and understand the difference between the good and the best, it's made me the kind of leader that now you want to follow, at least to some degree, if it's only coming on Easter. <laughs> Maybe Christmas, too. Maybe Christmas, too. He has broken me, and there's still more to break, so much more. I'm not, I'm not what I should be, but I know this. I am not what I used to be, but it's all because I said, to the greatest degree I knew how to say it, not my will. Yours be done. The disciples had trouble in their soul because they couldn't reconcile this. And even after 40 days, Jesus stayed with them 40 days, popping in and out, giving many weekend conferences and stuff. When he said, I'm about to pour out my spirit, and, and it's a promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1, and, and in a few days you're going to be baptized with power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. When he said that, you know what their response was? Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What? What don't you get? Your plans are not mine. Two things. Two things about your plans. Just two. They fit in these two categories. It's real easy. Either they are too small 
or they are all wrong. One of the two that you dream too small. He's got much bigger things for you. Or they are completely left when you need to go right. And you need to live long enough to be thankful he didn't answer your prayers. You just need to keep on going, being faithful, loving him, honoring him. Even if you don't understand everything you're going through, you get to a different intersection and you realize, oh, I get it. Sorry. This is much better than I had it had in mind. So sorry. Thank you. Troubled. Secondly, they had doubt. They believed in him, but they had these issues of unbelief. They wanted to follow him, but they didn't know exactly how it fit within their framework of following. They, they had some, con, con, some real conflict in their soul. And that they believed part and they couldn't believe in other areas. It's like that guy who had his son that was thrown into the fire regularly. And, and, and Jesus said, what's wrong with this generation? Why don't you believe? And the father said, I believe. That's why I'm asking you, but help my unbelief because I don't know how he's going to be delivered. And disbelief is different than unbelief. Disbelief is saying, I won't believe. Even though I see it, forget it. Unbelief is saying, I want to believe, but my eyes... Just don't inform me well enough. Help me. I don't know what to do here. And all of us, at least the, the 845, had issues of unbelief. Not the 1045. You all are great. You are straight down the middle, you 1045 people. But the 845 and the 7, they had issues. They, they understood what I was saying, but, but you all are in straight compliance. I'm so happy. Proud of you. Proud of you. Unbelief. And the word there for, for doubt is a word dissension, meaning you don't have agreement. In, in, in music, we call it dissonance, discord. And, and it doesn't sound the way it should. Now, some of us are good, as I said, we have some belief. It's not that we are completely out to lunch, it's that. The things that we know to be true don't fit with the other things that we're hoping to be true. And it, 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 it's good when you come to church on Easter. One note Sam. Beautiful. You made it 12 years straight to church on Easter. That's you? And then you come on Christmas. Oh, we got some harmony going on here now. Easter and Christmas, that's you. That's you. And then now you're thinking about joining the church. Oh, oh, it's feeling really good now. It's feeling really good. Yeah. But this thing about morality and living with my girlfriend. just hit a sour note, didn't we? Just doesn't sound the way it should. Forgiving my brethren. No, I don't know about that. What is this dissonance in your life? Why do you doubt when you know to be true what you know to be true? 
Wherever you see areas of unbelief in your life, you need to address them in a minute. Now, don't let them continue so that you can have agreement and harmony as to what comes out of your life to God. Why this doubt? Why? And they're still looking at them. In amazement, it says, that in their amazement, they were still in unbelief. So he says this, okay, you see my hands? He has to prove them. After he corrects them and reproves them, he has to reprove that he is actually risen from the dead. Do you see my hands? Do you see my feet? Touch me if you want. I'm real. He's doing everything he can to try to help these guys. And they're still, oh, oh, oh. And then finally he says, Okay, 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 okay. Do you have any food? Because spirits don't eat. Only flesh needs food. It's fuel. Do you have any food? He takes it. It says it was broiled fish. I don't know if they started cooking it. (laughs) I don't know how we got here. But... He takes a piece of broiled fish and eats it in front of him. And so they're sitting there, they're watching him. <laughs> he puts it in his mouth, chews it up. Dude, he's real. It's not a ghost, he's real. Yeah, yeah. What proof do you need that he cares about you and loves you? How much more does he have to do Wasn't dying for you enough? Why is the thankfulness that needs to flow from your soul like an unending fountain stopped up because you are disappointed from yesterday? Why why do you make God have to do the next in order to prove how much he cares about you? What about what he's already done? That though we are sinners, though we are really messed up, and don't think about him often, and blame him when bad things in the world happen, and consider him neglectful when bad things in the world happen, even though we theologically don't think he did it, we think he could have fixed it or stopped it from happening, and and we accuse him and and, and ascribe to him things that are wrong, We, we, we start many of our spiritual conversations properly, but we wind up with the real heart of the matter. Why me? Why me? And it's not a question. It's questioning. You're not trying to get an answer. You don't want an answer. Because if he answered you as to why you, it would crush you. Oh, there's a good reason as to why you. You don't think you deserve it because you think you're better than you are. You think you deserve this entitled life of blessing without difficulty. And and, and the reason you do is because you think... You're not deserving of the bad stuff. That's what happens to people that I really think are bad. The worst of humanity. Over there on the, the nth degree of wickedness. Uh, Hitler. Uh, son of Sam. Mass murderers. Horrible people. They deserve bad stuff. But me? Oh, I didn't knock off a 7-Eleven. God, I didn't do it. 
I didn't try to hurt anybody. I'm waking up every day trying to be the best person I know how to be, though I do mess up. Yeah, I do. I'm selfish. I am. Yeah, but that's not big because I'm not real bad. And as a result, we talk ourselves into our own self-righteousness, thinking that we deserve goodness. If you really want a question to why me, be careful. Job asked that question. And God rebuked him for four chapters. Four chapters. After around chapter one and two, Job said, okay, um, like, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I understand. I, I'm not you. I shouldn't have even asked a question. You can stop now. I'm, I'm good. God said, I'm not done. You don't want to know why me. We blame him rather than thank him. Breathing is a really good benefit for which we take for granted every day. That he allows you to live though we should die for our sins is amazing. And that he died for your sins to give you life is doubly amazing. That should be enough if he never does another thing for you. You ought to get up every day. First thing coming out of your mouth. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My God, thank you. So he proves to him, check my hands, check my feet, give me some food. Listen, the world is looking for proof that the body of Christ exists. Now, he's not in the business of showing up regularly to people's homes and saying, by the way, I rose from the dead. But he is in the business of making sure you represent him well so that people can realize that. We are his body. Can we show them the work of our hands as evidence of him being alive? Can we show them the sacrifices that we've made for the world's benefit? Can we give them an idea of what service looks like and that without looking for anything in return? Can the work of our hands represent who he is? When he says go, are we willing to? Feet. Ah, you don't have to go to India, though India would be a good thing. If you want to be a missionary and give your life for the purpose of preaching the gospel, excellent. But just... Try it at your workplace first. Try it in your neighborhood first. Try it at your, your kids' soccer games with the, the, your, your fellow parents and football and basketball. A wise man once said, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. If you're not working it now, why send you? What do your feet do with this gospel? Jesus quoted a passage and said, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. We need to bring good news are the evidence of our feet being his feet. That which allow people to understand who Jesus is better. And then lastly, what do we do with the stuff we consume? He ate something. The world is full of stuff that we have to navigate. And there ought to be something about our witness of how we use things in the world that is different than how the world uses things of the world. I'm not mad about you if you get a bigger house. Congratulations. You got a promotion. You get a nice car. You move up from the, from the Hondas and the Subarus, and now you're into the Acuras and the Lexuses. I ain't mad at you. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. 
And you buy a boat, you're not smart, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm really happy. I know you, you want to go out on the boat as neat, but you have no idea how to drive the thing. You don't know how deep the waters are in certain spots. You go run aground. You need a captain. You, you got you to put it up in the winter, and that costs you money. You, you, you don't know what you're doing. You think you do because you've got a driver's license, but being on, a, on the water, that's different. And then it's a depreciating asset. After about five years, you're going to get your thrill out of it and think, oh, I'll sell it for what I got it for. No, you won't. No. But if you get a boat, take me out with you. <laughs> take me with you. I don't want to buy one. I just want to use yours. <laughs> I'm not mad about you acquiring things. But there ought to be something distinct about whatever you use. How's your giving? Do you tip God for everything he does or are you regular in your offerings and tithes? He's deserving of more than a tip. He's done more than carry your bags. Do you distribute resources to those who do not have on a regular basis? Is the priority of you using your stuff that which is God's priority, Lord, you gave me this. You gave me all of it. I want to use it for your glory. You gave me this house. We're going to host people. We're going to have meetings over here, small groups. We're going to make sure that the bedrooms are filled from time. Listen, there is somebody in my house I don't know every week. <laughs> you I know. I know you. I know you. <laughs> there are people that just walk in my house. They don't have keys. They just walk in my house. Hey, and they, give, they, they call my brother, my sister, my, my, my kids and just say, hey, and I'm sitting there on the couch thinking, hi, how you doing? <laughs> and it's not just this. What is a bunch of people? My house is everybody's house. And I'm happy about it. Because I bought my house for the kingdom, not just for me. And I got a bunch of kids I've adopted. They already have great parents, but they are part of my clan. When we take family pictures, they're in it. <laughs> I love you, Caleb. I love you, Caleb. <laughs> My boy. What do you do with the stuff God gives you? How do you consume the stuff he distributes to you? There ought to be something distinct that is there for redemptive purposes rather than to just make you happy. We are the body of Christ. How in the world do we show that to the world where people can see him and not us? 